Welcome, my friends, to the That's Ball Folks podcast. I am your host, Josh Reynolds. This is episode 22. I am joined by very special guest, Kevin Nagandi of SportsCenter, one of my favorite conversations I've had on the podcast to date, and uh, I've been looking forward to uh, this conversation for a while. But uh, I mentioned this on in my conversation with them, but when I started this podcast, I created like a, a list of dream guests and Kevin Nagandi, having a Philly background, being a Philly sports fan, obviously being a sports center anchor has been right up towards the top. So this was a very, very cool experience for me. Awesome conversation. Kevin is one of the nicest, genu most genuine guys uh, who, I, who I've talked with, but extremely excited for you guys to hear that conversation. But before we dive into it, how's everybody doing? Great week. Crazy things have happened. Dame is dropping 71. Jokic, another 40-point triple-double. Embiid doing what Embiid does. Crazy week in basketball. It was actually awesome. Also, we had the second highest scoring game in NBA history. And I happened to have a nice little uh, a nice little parlay on it with my buddies. So, little backstory. I know I mentioned it uh last episode, but went back east with uh went to New Jersey with some of my best friends. We do it every year. Went to some Devils games, hung out, watched basketball. It was a, it was a blast. So out there, uh, DraftKings obviously is legal. And in Utah, it is not. Uh, but I've talked about my underdog fantasy, which funny enough, underdog is not legal out there. I don't understand it at all. But anyway, my buddy Ralph is like, yo, I've got this eight-legger just throwing a couple bucks on it. It'll make the, the night game, the Kings and Clippers game fun to watch. We're like, great. We just watched it, got back from a Devils game, who, by the way, are buzzing. And Timo Meyer is now a member of the Devils, and I'm absolutely thrilled. That's a topic for another day. So we're like, great, let's all put some money on it. So we all throw down, uh, I think, 10 bucks is, is what we did. And an eight-legger. So just to put it in perspective, I have never, I've been sports gambling for a while. It's just fun. I have never hit an eight-legger. The, the, the odds of it happening are not high. But we took De'Aaron Fox over 24 and a half. Sabonis over 18 and a half. Kawhi Leonard over 24 and a half. Eric Gordon over eight. Morris over eight. Paul George over 18. Terrence Mann over eight and two rebounds. And my goodness gracious. It was the funnest, not Sixers related. It was the funnest basketball game I've ever seen. Neither team missed. The game ended in double overtime. It was 176 to 175. The Kings win, who, by the way, might just be the funnest team in the entire NBA to watch. They are fantastic. Malik Monk, awesome. De'Aaron Fox, awesome. Sabonis, awesome. Everybody and everything about that team is awesome. I love the Kings. I absolutely love them. And now I will love them for forever after what they did for us. So anyway, it was a blast. Go Kings. Without any further ado, let's dive into my conversation with SportsCenter's Kevin Nagandi. Let's go. Today, I am lucky enough to be joined by one of my favorite sports broadcasters of all time. You may know him from SportsCenter, Philadelphia's own Mr. Kevin Nagandi. Kevin, how is it going, my friend? It's going great, Josh. It's a pleasure to join you. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. There, uh, there is a list of people who are on my bucket list to have on here and you are near the top and I genuinely mean that. So thank you very, very much for joining me. Well, it's awfully nice of you. And I got to tell you, uh, I've done a lot of podcasts and, uh, for listeners, uh, you have you have one of the better better backgrounds with the uh, Iverson walkover uh, Ty Lue, as well as the Jordan from the free throw line auto. So uh, <laughs> those are two favorite iconic moments. At, and of course, like the uh, Iverson in the Hall of Fame. So I appreciate your taste. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you for the compliments. That was very cool. <laughs> so I wanted to start off with the with a little bit about you. Um, obviously, I know you're a Philly guy, born and raised philly yeah i was born in west philly and then uh within a year we moved out to the suburbs my family uh to phoenixville uh and our roots are still in that's that great little town it's it's kind of blown up over the last 15 to 20 years but quiet little town outside of king of prussia valley forge um and you know so spent a lot of time in my uh you know my teen years and my early 20s in in philadelphia because of going to temple university so you know, when I got my first job, I, I made sure Philadelphia came with me wherever I, I've gone from Iowa to Missouri to Florida and now in Connecticut. It's fantastic. You do a very good job at plugging uh, all your Philly sports teams, and I, I can appreciate I'm, that. <laughs> I'm not shy, uh, you know, and uh, I'm proud of uh, of our roots. I'm proud of being uh, somebody that kind of can bring balance to the storytelling of anybody that shares Philadelphia stories on the uh the national stage sometimes we're painted in a negative light and make sure that hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. Uh, let's let's make sure that it, it's not just one-sided conversations and uh, you know cliche type of stories. Yes, which it is very much needed because you're right. Philly gets painted in a negative light all the time, so it's nice to have a voice like yourself who can who can speak from the other side a little bit. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Who was your favorite uh, Philly athlete growing up? So I grew up, you know, I, I'm dating myself being 47. I grew up um, and in this room, I've got, you know, some signatures of, of the two icons for me. That was Mike Schmidt, um, the greatest third baseman of all time. We all wanted to be like Mike Schmidt growing up uh, when we played wiffle ball and baseball in our backyards. And then Dr. J. Uh, that 83 Sixers team is my favorite team of all time. And I was eight years old when they won it. I was, you know, so into – uh, that team and what they went through, you know, in 80, even as a five-year-old in 81, 82, and how close they were. And, uh, you know, to this day, uh, I despise uh, when I see pictures of Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish, uh, <laughs> you know, and the Celtics green and red Auerbach with, the, you know, his cigar, because, just because it was such a great rivalry. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, those are the two guys that kind of were my pillars. Uh, I love Ron Jaworski, who became a colleague at ESPN and, and now is a, is a friend. That's and awesome. uh, I've got actually an auto of him in, in a jersey in it, of him in this room after he saw the Schmidt one one time during an interview. He's like, wait a second, how come I'm not there? You know, <laughs> and so I'm pretty lucky that um, I grew up in a great time uh, uh, 80s success and then a lot of pain in the late 80s. Um, so, uh, you know, I, those are the guys that I look up to that I follow that I'll always kind of connect with my original passion when it comes to sports. 
I love it. The glory days. You got to live. Yeah, through. exactly. You know, and some people get surprised by this. My favorite athlete of all time is actually nobody from Philadelphia. It was Bo Jackson. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple of Bo Jackson things here. Bo Jackson was to me uh, the greatest athlete of my time. Um, just, you know, I wish people understood how electric he was as a football player. And he did that as a hobby. And then as a baseball player <laughs> where, you know, he wasn't even fully committed and he made the all-star team and hit a home run and, you know, as the leadoff guy. So like Bo Jackson as a 14 year old kid, um, in like 1989 was was peak everything for i think teenagers like if if a guy like bo jackson was now out and we had oh, social media you know like i, I think i think it'd be absolutely incredible the coverage and the fanfare of whatever bo did so uh you know i i was a little diverse too so obviously i love my teams yeah and then i branched out to fall in love with uh whatever bo jackson did Awesome. Yeah. You're, uh, you're not wrong in the boat take. Can you, I, I like, can't even imagine. I've kind of feel bad for some athletes who were just a little bit before the social media time, because yeah. obviously everybody who knows sports knows Bo, but if he was around with social media, I mean, his highlights would be plastered everywhere, everywhere. And the commercials by Nike, just everything he did. He's just such a freak of nature. I love it. I love it. Bo's a great one. So when did you know that you wanted to get into sports broadcasting and, and when, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it kind of two thousands ish that you, you started with sports center? No. Well, it, I mean, I've been at ESPN for 17, close to 17 years. Okay. Uh, I came to ESPN in 2006. Okay. Um, when did I know? Uh, like I was really lucky. I knew when I was 14 years old. And, oh, wow. And it was, it was like a specific moment. I knew exactly where I was. Um, as a young kid, you obviously want to be an athlete. And you think, yeah, I'm going to be a basketball player and a baseball player, you know. But I, I also knew, you know, you know, as a young teenager, I'm like, all right, listen, I, like, look at my my parents and look at my <laughs> body physical type. You know, there, there's no way. And I loved so much about talking about sports with my family and my friends and I was so into it, you know, every single day, I got to get the inquire and the daily news, pour through it. And I, at 14, I remember watching a basketball game, a college basketball game. I remember where I was sitting in my house and they were profiling a guy that was at the free throw line. He was probably 20 years old. And the broadcasters pulled up his bio on the screen and they said, he's studying communications. He wants to do what we're doing. And it was literally at that moment, I was like, wait a second, I can get paid to do this. I can travel around. I can talk about sports. And that night I watched sports center. I think like every other kid. And I just remember saying to myself, I want to be the first Indian American on sports center. I just like, it was like, that was like, boom, it clicked. This is what I wanted to do. This is what made sense to yeah. me. This is what I can, uh, uh, you know, uh, dream about and go after. You know, so when you think about like every every kid, every kid has a dream. Every it, like we have ridiculous dreams, which is amazing being a teenager and a young teenager where you could just dream big. Right. And mm -hmm. um, so to realize that 17 years later, um, you know, as a 14 year old who thinks this and then 17 years later, be at ESPN and be the first Indian American on TV. And then soon enough within, you know, 
uh, 18 months to two years I'm on Sports Center. Uh, it, it was pretty heavy for me, but I always tell people in, in high school and college that, listen, my journey is not going to be the same as yours. My journey is not the same as my co-anchor L. Duncan on the 6 p.m. Sports Center. None of us have the same story. And to not think that, hey, if you do this, then this happens and then this happens. You can try to do it, but there's a lot of things that play a role, like you know, circumstances, opportunities, relationships, hard work, got to be good yeah. uh, at what you do, and then got to be better than what everybody else is doing, timing. So uh, I, the one thing I always stress is none of us at ESPN has the same story. Uh, yeah. We all have unconventional routes to get there. And I, I find that fascinating as the, at the, as the final destination, right? For many yeah. of us. So um, I was pretty lucky to, to have a dream and, and now to, to live it every single day, especially the last uh, 16 plus years at ESPN. It's pretty amazing. And as you said, I, I feel like probably it's different for everybody. Obviously, the journey, like you said, but realizing and having that moment of realization, everybody who grew up playing sports has it at one point or another. And yeah. as a five, eight a uh, human being myself, I could appreciate when you said you're 14 and realized like, okay, I probably won't be playing any of these professionally. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Listen, I, I went to the, you know, I went to the basketball courts every day and, and busted yeah. my butt and played all that stuff. But what was going on was I was playing the play by play awesome. a lot more than the guy that's, you know, committed to, you know, uh, playing three hours of basketball and, and I'll never forget Josh uh, playing in my basement, um, you know, as a eight, nine, 10 year old. And I'm playing with a small mini ball and I've got like a league. I've got these standings and, you know, and, and um, I'm playing against myself and doing color commentary while, while doing play by play. And, you know, I was, I would spend hours in my basement and my mom one day was just like, what, what, who are you talking to? And I was like, <laughs> What do you mean? And she's like, like, why are you talking while you're playing? I said, because I'm giving play by play. And if I don't give play by play, then it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, I, I don't understand. And those are the, you know, early footprints yeah. of, of what I wanted to do and, and how I was wired and what I believed in. And that's, um, that's fantastic. It's, it's a crazy thing. So, you know, and when I say it's crazy, it doesn't make sense. But then when you look back, it's like, oh, now it all makes sense. You know? Yep. Yep. That is that is so good. I, every little kid did, at least did like the countdown, right? Of the shot clock or whatever. Yes. I, I'm sure your mom was like, well, he just won't stop talking and dribbling that ball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is too good. Hello, friends. I want to give another shout out to Griffles Plasma, the runaway favorite in the arena of plasma donation centers. As I've said before, and I'll say again, plasma makes medicines. This is a huge, huge deal. And a lot of people depend on these medicines for treatment. And each time you donate, that donation can be used to make up to five different plasma medicines. Think about that for a second. One donation up to five. Honestly, makes me think of the Michigan Fab Five. Shout out Jalen Rose and Chris Weber. Anyone could need plasma at any time. So if you want to help others, if you want to show your good side, take some of your time to donate some of your plasma. Your plasma replaces itself. You help other people and you're compensated for every donation. This is a great roster to get on. Learn more about plasma and find a center near you at grifflesplasma.com. Tell them Josh sent you. This advertisement is a paid promotion. 
There's genuinely few things I love more than a quality shirt that represents my squads that I can wear any day of the week. My guys over at Die Hard Addicts have some of the best Philly sports shirts you could ever dream of. Whether it's the Sixers, the Phillies, the Birds, they've got you covered with all things Philly sports. We're not talking those like cheap, thin quality shirts either. They've got heavy duty, good quality graphic tees that are money. I just scored the Princess Diana shirt for her wearing that Birds jacket. Couldn't possibly love it more. Hit them up on Instagram at DieHardAddicts or visit them at their website at www.DieHardAddicts.com. When you find something you like, use code JOSH24 for 10% off your order. Diehard Addicts, providing Diehard's custom gear to support their addiction. Are you sick of spending time caring for your lawn? Have you spent too much time mowing it or even just keeping it alive? Are you tired of wasting resources and money watering it? If you are like me, the answer is yes to all of those. You should consider artificial grass. Beehive Turf out of Northern Utah will transform your yard into looking beautiful all year round. Check out Beehive Turf on Instagram. Give them a call today for a free quote. Beehive Turf, take the sting out of caring for your lawn. So a lot of NBA players and every athlete, they'd always talk about their, oh, what was my welcome to the league moment? And I love hearing those stories. Do you have one of those like, oh, whoa, like welcome to sports center. I'm actually doing this type of moments. Wow. Uh, there were a handful, you know, my first time, I'll tell you two stories. My first time on TV, period, mm-hmm. doing live TV, was a 23-year-old in uh, Kirksville, Missouri. Okay. Uh, market 199, super small. This is like mid-June NBA Finals, uh, Bulls, Jazz, and um, it's Jordan's last NBA Finals. And we have a little prompter pedal that – you know, it's the, the size of my fist. And basically uh, at the top of it is a small little button, but it's a pedal. And that's how you run prompter with the words moving up and down on the screen. I had okay. never dealt with that before where I was running prompter and I, I wear size 12s. So I was trying it out multiple times, but my biggest fear was I would hit that small little button. And if you hit the small button, everything goes backwards. And so they do this whole big introduction to me. Welcome to town. He's here at KTVO. And uh, the two anchors are super excited. And I was grateful for how kind they were to me. But I am nervous. And I am sweating. And I turn to the camera. And my big size 12 hits that small button. And everything goes backwards. And it was a three and a half minute sportscast that I had to ad lib for three wow. and a half minutes. And... Um, it was my, well, welcome to TV. You've got a story. <laughs> and thankfully, I knew the content of Jordan versus the Jazz. And, you know, this is potentially his last NBA playoff run. I I found a way to stumble and bumble through all that and make it clean to get out of the way and finish that in three and a half minutes. And uh, my, my whole jacket and body was sweating through. <laughs> it was in the middle of the summer and that this studio didn't have an AC system. So that was my welcome to TV moment. My welcome to Sports Center moment. Man, there were there were a few. I remember the first night I ever did Sports Center with Robert Flores, and it was a pretty big deal for me. And I was beyond nervous. the The one moment was with Steve Levy, who, who's a friend now, but uh-huh. he's been there. He's been there for uh, thirty plus years. He has seen it all. Yeah. And he was super kind to me. 
And uh, but he was intimidating. And these are one of my early shows with him at on the 11 o'clock Sports Center when, the you know, the 11 o'clock Sports Center was before Van Pelt. It was a pretty big deal when you're yeah, on the yeah. 11 p.m. Sports Center. Right. So. He uh, we're about to like the open is playing, you know, this is Sports Center and they like it's like a 30 second. Here's what's coming up, you know, with some. Uh, one of our voices, uh, we we tracked that earlier uh, in the night, and I mean Levy makes a comment to me. He was like, "Yo, I was I was on um was on a radio station in Miami uh, earlier today," and I was like, "Okay." And you know the stage manager is giving us a count: 25, 20, 20 seconds till we're on the air, right? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, and, you know, they asked me, you know, you've worked with so many other anchors through the years, the Dan Patricks, the Chris Berman's, the Stuart Scott's, like, who's the next great thing at ESPN, the next big thing? And I was, like, sitting there, and you hear the stage manager say 10, 9, and I look at Steve, and I'm like, okay, like, you're going to tell me the punchline? Why, why are you <laughs> telling me this? And Levy goes, I said you. I said, wow. what? He goes, I said, you're the next big thing. And so don't – and he, and he cursed. Yeah. And he goes, don't, don't screw it up tonight. And then two, one, and we're on camera. And that that was like one of those, what the heck just happened? Like, <laughs> what did Steve Levy say? Like, so the entire A block, which is the first 10 minutes of the show before we go to commercial break, yeah. I am doing the show but processing like <laughs> – what just happened? Somebody I look up to gave me one of the highest compliments, and I'm now just trying to not screw the show up. Yeah. And uh, it was a good welcome to sport. You're in the big leagues, and somebody that that you looked up to, that you watched, you know, as a 20 year old, it now thinks that you're good enough to hang with him. And that that was that was a high compliment with Steve from Steve. And Steve and I are still pretty darn good friends. And and I'm grateful for the compliment that he said. And I'm glad I'm glad that uh, it was a clean show and I didn't screw up at least that hour with him. That is amazing. And Levy knew what he was doing, dropping that on you with five seconds. <laughs> yes. Oh, Josh, absolutely. There, there was a little, you know, hazing there. Uh, hey, how's he going to handle this? You know, <laughs> that is so good. That is a uh, that is a perfect welcome. And both of those, what I have to ask this just because somebody who's not familiar with sports broadcasting, what is that tiny little button on the lever that makes it go in reverse? Like, is that if you skip over something? Why, why would that be if, put if there? If you go too fast, like, so if the pedal speed, your foot has to put it down and it controls the speed. Okay. And if you go too fast, you go over the script. So then you got to hit the small pedal to go backwards. I see. And and a lot of this was, it's like driving a car. How much gas are you pushing on the pedal down? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I had to control that speed. And I, I didn't even know that either. If you put it too hard all the way down, you're flying <laughs> through the words. So you have to kind of find the right speed for you. Cause my uh, speed is different from another anchor's speed. So you yeah. get to control it. I, I was not familiar with it any of this pacing so 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 there's you can practice all you want but there's nothing like the full adrenaline first oh. time in the air how are you going to handle it and then you just put your foot down because you're just jacked up right? oh yeah it's like a brick i'm sure totally so that's, that, a, that's, that's amazing kind of experience that is fantastic um okay i have to ask this as well because i've always wondered how often do you guys kind of go off script an ad lib is it just a, like a 
a moment by moment basis or is it pretty much on script? Totally a uh, moment by, and, and I, I can only speak for myself. I can't yeah. speak. Some anchors are comfortable in the space of what they write. Uh, you know, the shot sheet that we have, it gives all the highlights and reading as is. Yeah. Uh, many of the anchors that uh, are comfortable in their space ad lib a lot. There are some anchors that just ad lib everything. Wow. Uh, I find a balance. Uh, yeah. I, I am on serious stories. I'm sticking to it because I think it's important to make sure we get the accuracy and the news right. Yeah. Um, when it's highlights, I'm ad-libbing everything. At least I, I have it. context of what's going on, and then I'm ad-libbing. When it's crosstalk with you know my co-anchor, who, who's the best, L. Duncan, her and I mm -hmm. get along so well, we are comfortable ad-libbing with each other. Yeah. We're comfortable with the back and forth and, you know, just, hey, let's think on the fly. Um, so it all depends. It's a good mixture. Um, that's for Sports Center. When I'm hosting uh, college football yep. um, on ABC, that's all ad-libbing. Literally, wow. everything we're doing is ad-libbing uh, at halftime, pregame, postgame. Uh, Booger McFarland's in studio with me and him and I are super tight. And I'll just make sure I know where, what Booger wants to talk about. I'll listen to what he has to say, yeah. you know, watching a game and I'll know, okay, he, he's hot on this. I'm going to bring that up, you know, through the years, you know, working with a, a handful of, you know, stars, you hear what they have to say, how they process it. Then you're like, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to make sure I bring that up in a conversation because I think that's important for the audience. And all that is just an ad lib synergy type of conversation that they have. And, you know, and many, many of the, the analysts that we have will tell us, Hey, I, I, I want to talk about, um, you know, time of possession here mm -hmm. and the turnover battle. Got it. I, I'll set them up or, Hey, I want to talk about, you know, how efficient this quarterback is or, you know, I, let's go to this specific play on how the D-back played the wide receiver and why the wide receiver turned this way and, and, and got open. Great. So that kind of conversation, I don't need a script. I just need to have an idea where they want to go, and then I'll find a way to get there to tee them up. Fantastic. That's a uh, has to be a testament. Obviously, you don't get where you are without being one of the best, but that is has to be a huge testament to you just to be like, oh, yeah, great. I'll just go off the fly. That, that's so awesome. But Josh, listen, listen, a lot of this is just, can you communicate? Can you have relationships? Can you have trust with each other? You know, when I'm with a new analyst, my my job is to tell the analyst, I won't make you look bad. I'll yeah. challenge you if you say something, but I won't make you, I'll always have respect for you. And in the end, I will make you look good. And yes. my job is to protect you in this space. At the same time, make sure I'm getting the best out of you for the audience yeah and um you know in the beginning when you're working with somebody that that's the goal the goal is to build that trust so then they feel like they can tell you more yeah. i've watched shows where i could tell an analyst does not care too much about the the host and you're not gonna you're not gonna get a lot of good interaction but yeah. in any conversation that you have with somebody if trust is initially established you will expand the conversation yeah, um, because you're comfortable with that. Yep. Makes sense. You you can tell. And that's why I wanted to ask, because when you and Elle are on together, it's just like you guys are having a conversation for an hour talking about your favorite thing on the planet, which is why it's fun to watch rather than yeah. just two people who you can tell are just reading a script. Like that's a, yeah. Again, it's what separates you guys from everybody else. That's all. Awesome. And it helps that Elle's a good person and, yeah. and like a sister that I never had. And, 
and uh, we are the biggest champions of each other. And when you when you have that trust and comfort, it makes going to work every day. It makes doing an hour or two hours of TV fun because you go home and you're not taking that that show with you. Yeah, you're you're comfortable where it's at because you know the next day we're gonna have fun again. You know the next day, no matter what, we have each other's back, and I don't need to to think anymore. And, and listen, I've had that with Van Pelt. I've yeah. had that with Levy. I've had that with Anderson. Jay Harris, uh, Hannah Storm, you know, uh, when, you know, you're working with Hannah Storm for five years, you've got to build a rapport, right? Yeah. Um, you've got to understand where they're comfortable and where you're comfortable. I, I've had that with a handful of people, Randy Scott, you know, Lindsay Zarniak, they used to be there. Um, so it, it, it really helps what you do on TV uh, because then you could be yourself. That's really cool. How long have you and Elle been together now? We've been together two years, uh, okay. at least on this show. We've done a handful of shows in the past, but like two years as, hey, we're the team uh, on the 6 p.m. I've been on the, on the 6 p.m. show for five years, um, but Elle and I the last two. And uh, let me tell you, they're, they're the best two years uh, I've had at ESPN uh, because, again, it, it, I go back to the team. And, and our team is great with producers coordinating producers, researchers, we're all in as a group because basically yeah. we're there every day. We all believe in the product. So when you have that, that teamwork together, um, you're not just on the air by yourself. You're on the air as a group. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you get those inside jokes at the pod and then you can bring it on the air and, and, and say something, you know, like our one producer, the lead producer, Justin Daly, is is a Giants fan and a Mets fan. So we have fun when we talk about that on the air. Awesome. Um, our coordinating producer is a big Miami fan. We loves the Dolphins and the Marlins and the Heat. So we have fun. And then they're, they're giving you something in your ear, too, while you're talking about <laughs> something. Like, hey, you you were too excited reading about that Mets loss, you know? And, and you're like, <laughs> They, they know you don't you're gonna be good on the air yeah. for them to be honest but at the same time they're giving it to you while you're on the air which is great that's awesome that is so cool again this is stuff I appreciate you chatting about this because this is stuff that nobody gets to hear the back end yeah. of things that's very awesome okay so let, let's pivot here and talk about our favorite thing Philly sports here just for a moment so we talked about it briefly yesterday just about the year that is happening with Philadelphia sports, all the major sports teams are making a run mm -hmm. and now it's falling on the Sixers. I, ah. I, I don't think I've, I've processed the Super Bowl even quite yet. And now I thought I, this sums up the Sixers season perfectly. And honestly, the last probably five or six years where they show a glimpse, they have that game against Memphis where it's like, wow, awesome. I think this team actually can do it. And then you have a game followed up with uh, with Boston, who just continues to be the thorn in our side. Yeah. What do you think this Sixers team, do you think realistically we have a shot to make a title run? Because it, again, it flips back and forth for me. I, I believe. And then one second, I don't. I, I would love to hear your thoughts. And, and I think, Josh, your feeling is similar to mine and also carries the sentiment of the whole city that every time they lose, mm -hmm. it's always, uh, yeah, we're going to get knocked out in the second round. Like, <laughs> and no, no matter what it is. Yeah. And anytime they win, it's like, oh, this, this could be it. 
it's we a, go to the it's, it's a curse experience, right? Yeah. Um, because of the last five years, because of what happened in the Ra- Raptors series, um, yep. how I feel about this team is they have the pieces. This comes down to when the playoffs start, no freak injuries, mm-hmm. no Pascal Siakam hitting Joel yeah. Embiid in the face, and then all of a sudden everything's going well, and it's like, what? What just happened? Like, we were <laughs> celebrating a win, and now we, we've got to deal with this? Um, Joel was playing out of this world <clears throat> in the in the postseason before that injury. Yep. And then you got to deal <clears throat> with the heat. And let's not forget, James Harden had that hamstring. Yep. So my my thing with this team is can they have consistent – and listen, they're not going to go deep on the bench, but can they have consistent bench assistance? Yeah. Because that bench was completely outplayed in that Celtics game. Yep. Joel's, if Joel can give us health and Joel and B that we know – He's he's unstoppable. The question is, can James Harden do that? Yeah. Can Tyrese Maxey get out of his little funk right now, which is natural. Everybody goes through the funks. Can De- Tobias hit, you know, a couple big threes? And if all of that plays a role, yeah, they, they can have a deep run. I, I think they can beat the Celtics. I think they can beat the Bucs. You know, Middleton's injury will be really interesting because uh, that plays a huge role. But when you look at all three teams – it comes down to the best player on that team. Can they carry? We've seen Giannis carry. Yep. We've seen Tatum carry and then fall short because Tatum was uh, on the back end of that series. Tatum and Brown struggled against the Warriors, right? Yeah. I mean, Tatum really struggled on the back end of that series, right? Can you have Joel carry for four series this team? And I think we can. But can we also have James Harden come in and play the way we've seen James Harden in many big moments? He was phenomenal in that Memphis game. Yeah. Phenomenal. (laughs) And it feels like we're seeing a little Houston Harden. Yeah. Um, But I I think it's really tough to come up with a referendum on this team um, until we see the playoffs. Yeah. Because in the end, you're measured by how far you're going to go and – the second round has been our ceiling here on, under Joel, and Joel gets it. Joel understands it. Joel realizes all the things that if he wants to be among the greats, he's gotta he's gotta push this team, whether it's against Milwaukee or whether it's against Boston, that second round to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I completely agree. And you're right; it is funny because it, it, I don't know if it's a just a Philly thing or if other sports towns experience the same deal, but because of what we've gone through for the past, however many seasons it almost, we take these losses a little bit harder yeah. rather than taking a step back and being like, wow, over our last 30 games, we're actually dominating and playing really, really well. It's it's, it makes it a lot harder to focus on those little positives rather than just like, ah, Boston again. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, and I also think the Boston thing plays a role. Like, yeah. Like seeing Boston emerge at the whole Jason Tatum thing, <laughs> uh, Markel Fultz, like that, that subconsciously stays in our, in the back of our head. What could have been, and listen, we wouldn't have been able to draft them anyway. Celtics yeah. weren't going to pull that trade. No uh, shot. Because they knew we wanted Fultz. So they're like, Oh, we want to take them the entire time. Right. Yep. yep. So I, I think all that plays a role. Um, the frustration of just getting over the hump, um, we've just been sitting there waiting. I think the Ben Simmons stuff, I think the Hawks series, like 
all that stuff just it, it's like one big bowl of soup so no matter and, and and you mix it all together and then when you scoop a taste of that whole big bowl you still taste something that it was just a little bit you still taste it because it, it's mixed in every yes. single part of the bowl and yep. i think that's why we always have that taste in our mouth that's a fantastic analogy. That is exactly, exactly <laughs> how I'm feeling. Yeah, you're exactly right. And to go back to what you said about James Harden, that was the, all the talk going into the season was, Hey, can we get, can we get a, just a little glimpse of what James Harden is? And up to this point, we've gotten more than that. I think yeah. he, he has played really, really well and bounced back from that hamstring injury, which it's a hamstring. Like that's no, that's, that's a big injury. So I I've been very, very pleased again, with our little pickups, DeAnthony Melton has been great. Like it, now, like you mentioned, I think it's just going to be, hey, what is that sweet spot? What is that rotation? Is it seven, eight deep? What What yeah. is that going to look like? And again, maybe it will vary by series, but I'm very I'll, fascinated I'll, to see. I'll add one other thing, Josh, too, specifically. This isn't just about Joel. This is about James Harden's history. Also, mm -hmm. everybody knows about it in the playoffs. He's had situations where the the deck is in his favor, yeah, and, and suddenly something happens you can't explain, like you know all the missed threes in that one series where it's like, wait a second, yeah, well, how are you missing all these threes? You know, uh, for Houston and Doc Rivers, I know he's got a title from that Celtics run, but Doc Rivers has got to show us a little bit. I, I think yeah. all those things play a role that we go back to the worst places of individual success. Yeah. And then that gets back put in the bowl. So it's not just, you know, the Sixers shortcomings. It's James Harden's shortcomings from the past. It's Doc Rivers shortcomings from the past and blowing series three, one series that we've seen with the Clippers that we see saw against the Hawks. It, it, it it's all of that. It's, it's struggles that Tobias has had in big moments in playoff games. Yeah. That, that like all of that comes into it. And then we try to sort it out and we can't get through because we just have those bad feelings and they're going to need a moment. Yeah. I, I think they're going to need a moment where they get over the hump and it's like, all right, all that stuff is washed away. Yeah. Cause if it's not, it's always going to stay there in the back of our mind. Yep. You're exactly right. It, and it's, it's pretty wild. Like you said, it's almost as if every player has that has something where it's like, okay, it's not just a team, but each player individually has to get over that hump themselves. Yeah, totally. you're exactly you're exactly right. Okay, we'll end with this. Every time Embiid dominates, it seems like Jokic just has an answer. You <laughs> you look at the game last night, just unbelievable stuff from Jokic again, and it pains me. I don't dislike Jokic, but I just want Joel to have a shot at MVP so bad. And I, to be honest, and I, I've been very outspoken about this, but. After he didn't win it last year, I kind of knew deep down like that was a shot. Like I, I uh, somehow, some way, he continues to improve and play better and better the, over the last three seasons. But I just knew after he didn't win it last year that that was most likely it. And then he shows glimpses again, improves every single game. But Jokic just has an answer. Do you think that this is Jokic's MVP year again? Do you think he's going to win it a third straight time, or do you think him? Embiid could make a late push here and, and kind of change some voters' minds. I'm with you, Josh. If he didn't win it last year, I don't think he'll ever he'll, he'll win it when it comes to a Jokic-Embiid thing. And I think that's pretty unfair because when you look at what Joel does specifically, and I know the analytics always, oh, offensively what Jokic does, Joel's 
part of that conversation, but what Joel does when it comes to the defensive ISO, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. Like I had one of our researchers look something up and, and I'm going to see if I can pull it up real quick here while we're talking. Uh, Cause I was like, help me understand the difference. And uh, this was sent to me last week, according to second spectrum, on the direct ball handler isolations as the primary defender, Embiid ranks 10th per direct isolation. Jokic ranks 158th. Holy cow. And and when you, like, so I think when the, people look at numbers, you can shape numbers and data any way you want. Yep. The problem that's going to, this year specifically, is Jokic has won the last two years, and this year he actually has a triple-double. He's yep. averaging a triple-double. Yeah. So, yep. it, like, uh it's hard to argue with anybody that's, you know, a big man averaging a triple double, a big man like Jokic getting double digit assists every single night is pretty wild. And he's on the number one team in the West. Like all of that, I think plays a role that it, 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 to me, it's not going to matter what Joel and uh, Joel does. Yeah. um, Because a triple double by a center is, yeah, I mean, you, you're probably going to Wilt. Any any stat that we've never seen before, we go to Wilt Chamberlain no matter yep. what. <laughs> yep. So uh, uh, I I also think, though, the eyes don't lie. And Embiid's defense, uh, I will take that any day of the week. You know, and if, if this is something that we have to see in the playoffs. And I will also say this, Josh. I grew up in an era where every single year Michael Jordan should have won the MVP. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We saw a lot of other Malone won. I know Barkley won. I know Magic won. Every single year, Jordan should have won the MVP. Yeah. You could make a case every single year, Giannis deserves to win the MVP. He's re- reached that, you know, because we're talking about the best player on the planet. I think Giannis is the best player on the planet. Yeah. So it, it's really hard, but I will come, come back to one other thing, Josh. All right. MVP is a regular season. Uh, valued award all right let's move on it means nothing uh to to, i think joel's legacy uh Mm -hmm. because his legacy is trying to get this team a championship yes so i I think the fodder is for you and i and everybody in the media and the fans to talk about an mvp but the big picture is how you want to be remembered you want to be remembered you know as the guy that won something you yep. could also make a case Kevin Durant deserves MVP some years. LeBron yeah. James MVP yeah. some years that they don't win. Yep. That's just kind of how it is. You're exactly right. Anytime I have this conversation, there's always somebody who brings it up of like, hey, the MVP means nothing to me since Kobe only won one. I'm like, yeah. that's a great, that's a great point. Well, you know, Kobe and Shaq could how dominant Shaq was. Kobe and Shaq won a t- uh, two combined MVPs. Yeah. Two. That's and unbelievable. We, have, we may have Jokic pass the, pass both of them by himself. Yep. Um, so when you look at all this stuff, it's like, what are we arguing about? Let, let, I'd rather take your MVP. I'd rather win it all. hundred percent. And like you said, if, if we can get past that little hurdle, then none of this will matter. And I pray every night that that happens. <laughs> It'd be fantastic. Well, Kevin, truly, I cannot even thank you enough. This has been fantastic. It is awesome to meet you and uh, truly, truly an honor that uh, you even would spend some time with me. So thank you very much. Josh, a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kevin. What an awesome guy. What an awesome convo. That was fantastic. 
going to uh, push a giveaway here on Twitter, as we always do. March Madness quickly approaching, and it may or may not have something to do with that. So keep an eye out for that. Hope you all have a fantastic week. Be nice to one another. We'll chat next week. And uh, that's all, folks. We'll be right back.